Well, we're looking at Psalm 46 this morning, and this is the great psalm that inspired Martin Luther's great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And there's a superscription above the psalm, as we see it in our Bibles there, that reads, for the director of music of the sons of Korah. And the sons of Korah were some of uh, King David's worship leaders and probably the ones who wrote Psalm 46. And then it says, according to Alamoth, a song. Alamoth literally means girls or maidens. And it kind of suggests that this psalm was meant to be sung up in the upper sort of treble range, perhaps with young women playing tambourines. And so back then, this psalm was probably a really big song on the Hebrew hit parade. They loved singing it, but we don't know what the tune was. And so I'm just going to read through it. But when we get to the refrain of the song, uh, verse 7, and again in verse 11, I want you to read it aloud with me, and I mean really loud. It's a triumphant verse. And that refrain in verse 7 and again in verse 11 goes, Lord, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So can we say that together? The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. So Psalm 46, verses 1 to 11. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, and she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. And together on verse 7, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And verse 8, come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And together again on verse 11, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we look at another psalm today and just to discover how we can trust you in times of crisis and uncertainty. People of Israel faced many crises and dire situations in their day. And in the midst of it, you gave them these songs to sing and these prayers to pray that reminded them of your faithfulness. And Lord, in these times of fear and unrest, please give us that assurance too as we Ponder this beautiful song. Amen. So how do you respond when life takes you to the ragged edge of reality? What do you do when out of the blue some tragic news, a painful event, or a sudden death rocks your world? Well, I was fortunate to grow up around a lot of uh, cousins in our family, one family of cousins in particular that we were very close to. 
And those cousins, like their dad, were all very gifted artistically. One of them, my cousin Blaine, was a successful painter. And he began in his 20s by selling his paintings door to door, but then moved into selling from studios. And Tim and I actually have one of his early landscape paintings and a number of his prints. <clears throat> but Blaine did well enough to uh, buy himself a nice house on the beach in White Rock. Also got himself a great big motor home, which he traveled around North America painting and selling his paintings from. And he was young. He was handsome, he was well off, and a real nice guy. And by his mid-30s, he was, by anyone's estimate, a success. His family was proud of his accomplishments. But then I heard that he got cancer. And within a short time, he was palliative in Surrey Memorial Hospital. And it was shocking to hear that, that news, and his family, who were not believers, took that ragged reality pretty hard. I went to visit Blaine uh, in the hospital, and it was you know, tough to see him in such physical deterioration. It made me realize the, the fragility of life. It was just a few days later that he, he died, leaving his girlfriend and his family a wreck. Well, this happened just before I became a, a pastor, but the family asked me to do Blaine's memorial service, and one of my first, and a, a difficult one. So what do you do when the ragged edge of reality rocks your world? How do you respond when life takes a tragic turn? Well, God's word in Psalm 46 says, in effect, take it easy, relax. Well, I know <clears throat> for anyone who's been through such things, that instruction sounds absurd and unrealistic, or at least unsympathetic. Relax. If you've been to the, the ragged edge, the last thing you can do is take it easy and relax. But this instruction here to relax is not what I'm telling you. It's what God's word is telling us. God says it this way in verse 10a of, of the psalm, when, that when you're in crisis and out on that ragged edge of our rocky world, he says, be still and know that I am God. So what does it mean here to be still? Does it mean to just kind of stay in one, one place, stop fussing and fidgeting and running about? Well, the Hebrew word here for to be still literally means to slacken. Uh, it means to, to let go, to cease striving, to let your arms down and relax. That's what God says to do. Now you might be thinking, well, there's God once again, you know, telling me to do impossible things. <laughs> well, if be still was all that he said, you might be right. It's impossible. But thankfully, that's not all he said. When the ragged edge of reality rocks your world, God doesn't just say, let go and stop striving. He doesn't just say, be still. He says, be still and know that not... That's something that, that we can know. Something that we can know that enables us to relax and stop striving in the midst of impossible situations. You know, our first response to ragged edge experiences is usually an emotional response. Um, our emotions 
get going and then that drives our reactions. But God says we need to respond by knowing something. Something we know to be true. It's a, it's a cognitive response rather than emotional. Be still and know. So how does that work? Well, maybe I can use a, a bit of a sports analogy here. Uh, some of you remember the back in 2010, um, the Olympics were on in Vancouver, and you know I was following the men's hockey during the Vancouver Winter Olympics, as I'm sure some of you were, and watching that amazing final game between Canada and the USA. And it was so intense, and it was so close. And we watched with white knuckles and knots in our stomachs, and it was quite emotional. And when the game went to sudden death overtime, then seven minutes and 40 seconds in, Sidney Crosby scored the golden goal. Right? And Canada won gold for men's hockey. Remember that? Well, it was such an exciting game that the, the networks played it over again and again. And later, I watched it again. Only seeing it again, there was no white knuckles or knots in the, in the stomach. You know, I could sit back and watch exactly the same game, but completely relaxed. What was the difference? Well, I could relax because I knew the outcome. I could be still and know. Now, if God told us in advance the ultimate outcomes of our ragged edge realities, we could also relax. It'd be a lot easier, wouldn't it? But God doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't tell us exactly how things are going to turn out. And Psalm 46 doesn't say that we can stop fretting and striving because we know how things are going to work out. No, it says we can relax when we know the God who will work all things out. Knowing God is better than knowing outcomes. You see, life is not always good. It's too uncertain and treacherous to be always good. I mean, just ask the people in Ukraine if life has been good over these past weeks. Well, it's gone right off the ragged edge. Life is not always good. God is always good. And it's God that makes life good. So verse 10 here tells me that I can take it easy and relax, not because I know the outcomes, but because I know that he is God. And the psalm assures us here that God is not some airy-fairy, kind of faraway deity here. No, he's solid. He's, he's within reach. He's a God we can hold on to by faith. And that's why it says in verse 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. And what do verses 7 and 11 say? Say it again with me. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You know, when I was a, a boy back in Sunday school, a couple of my Sunday school teachers were from England, and they had endured the horrors of the Blitz during World War II. But they told us this inspiring story of uh, some British and Commonwealth soldiers who had been taken prisoners of war in Southeast Asia, and they had suffered some terrible treatment. 
And to encourage one another <clears throat> in those desperate times, those soldiers sang together a version of Psalm 46 taken from the King James Version. And my Sunday school teachers taught us this, this song. Uh, maybe some of you knew it too. The tune is forever printed in my mind, but I'll spare you me trying to sing it for you. <laughs> but it went, God is our refuge, our refuge and our strength. In trouble, in trouble, a very present help. Therefore, we will not fear. Therefore, we will not fear. The Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And as I say, that song's been forever printed in my, my mind since I was young. But, you know, Martin Luther, of course, put Psalm 46 to a much better tune. And he said it this way, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. In other words, though crises will come our way, God is our strong protector. His ways, we have to admit, are mysterious. Uh, they're beyond our understanding. We can't always figure out what he's doing and why things are happening. But he never lets anything into his people's lives that he can't turn to his glory and ultimately, ultimately to our good. Well, the psalm goes on to tell us that though the earth give way and the mountains quake and fall and the nations be in uproar, the Lord Almighty is with us. And it says in verse 4a that his presence is like a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Now that city of God here refers to Israel's capital city, Jerusalem, the royal city. But unlike other great capital cities in the Middle East, like Damascus or Thebes or Nineveh or Babylon, Jerusalem had no physical river running through it. But the river here that the psalm is talking about is a symbol of the river of the water of life that flows from the temple of God. It's a metaphor for the continuous outpouring of God's presence and blessings that sustain and refresh the city of God. It's also a picture of the, the life-giving river that watered the Garden of Eden and flowed out from it. And so that's why verse 5 says, God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Now I said it before that to trust God in the midst of our present crises, we sometimes need to look back to God's faithfulness in the past. You know, things he's done for us before, like Israel looking back to the Exodus at the Red Sea and also lots of other accounts that they could look back to and see God's faithfulness there, all recorded in the scriptures. Well, some Bible scholars tell us that this psalm, Psalm 46, is actually written about the events recorded in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And that's where it tells us of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, who was a good and a, a righteous king. But one day someone came and told him, Jehoshaphat, you've got a serious problem here. You've got a crisis on your hands. Three of the nations to the east have joined forces. Their armies are marching toward Judah to make war on you. Sounds like our news today, doesn't it? Well, King Jehoshaphat and the little nation of Judah didn't stand a chance against these three armies. And it says Jehoshaphat was afraid. 
But it also says he did something. It says he set his face to seek the Lord. And so he went on and he proclaimed a fast. He gathered people from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord with him. And then Jehoshaphat recited to them all the things that God had done in Israel's past, in their, throughout their history, to save and rescue them. Rescue them against overwhelming odds so that God's name would be glorified and he'd be known as the true and living God. And it says that's when God's spirit came upon a guy in the crowd named Jehaziel and Jehaziel spoke up and he said, listen, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army for the battle is not yours, but God's. Go out and face them and the Lord will be with you. Well, Jehoshaphat and the people believed that word. And, and right there, they held a spontaneous worship service. They didn't wait till their trouble was, was all over. They began singing praises to God right there while those armies were still marching toward them. I wonder if you've ever done that in your own situations. You know, instead of fretting and, and, and striving, just start praising and Thanking God in the very midst of your crisis or your difficulty. We see there that the next morning, Jehoshaphat took his troops and they set out in faith to face some impossible odds against their enemies. But Jehoshaphat did something you don't find in the military strategy manuals. He put the singers and the musicians out at the head of his army. And as they marched along, they led the army, singing praises to God, the God of Israel. You ever taken that approach? Dealing with the ragged edge realities in your own life? Thanking God for his deliverance even before you see it? Well, it says when they did this, the Lord set ambushes against their enemies. When they reached their enemy's encampment, they were shocked to see their enemies already annihilated. Not one escaped. And so Psalm 46 puts it this way in verses 8 and 9. It says, come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And so Jehoshaphat and his men returned to Jerusalem rejoicing. It says they went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets, and the fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. So the sons of Korah wrote Psalm 46 to say that at the ragged edge of reality, when fearful things rock your world, you don't need to be striving. You can take it easy and relax, because this is the kind of God we have. Be still and know that I am God. Battle's not yours. <laughs> the battle belongs to the Lord. So what is our part in it? If the battle is the Lord's, what's our part? Well, it's to do what Jehoshaphat did. It says he set his face to seek the Lord. This is what I hope and pray the people in Ukraine will be doing in the midst of their crisis. 
setting their face, seeking the Lord. It's also what we should be doing on their behalf. You know, we can get overwhelmed by the problems and crises that look so much bigger than us. And that's because we're not looking at the Lord. And he seems kind of small and and far away when we're in the midst of our troubles. But when you turn your face to God and begin seeing and remembering him for who he is, then he becomes big. And the problem shrinks to its right perspective. Dr. Howard Hendricks, a professor I I once had, uh, used to ask his students, are you a big godder or a little godder? (laughs) Well, take a close inward look. How big is your God? Actually, our God is so big that he could even step down from the throne of the universe, the universe that he created, and enter our space, taking on our likeness in order to endure the extreme ragged edge of our rocky world, going to that rugged cross. And in doing that, he rocked our world. He's a big God. He gave his life as a ransom so that we could go free. Free from the penalty of sin, free from the fear of death, free to live courageously and with the hope of eternity. He's a big God. Are you a big Godder? It's one thing I didn't tell you about my cousin Blaine. There's a big God even in this story. That day I went to visit him in the hospital just before he died. I told him that I'd been praying for him. And he said, thanks, but I want to tell you something. And he told me that just a few days before, a guy in a hospital gown had wandered into his room from another ward, and he began talking to Blaine and telling him about Jesus. And Blaine smiled and he said to me, I now believe in Jesus too. Blaine had turned his face to God. He embraced Jesus Christ. And you know, I could see it. The fear of death was gone. There was a peace of God that was clearly present in him. Wow. Our God is a big God. And he's a good God. So will you turn your face to him and trust him at the ragged edge of your own realities? He only asks you to be still and know that he is God.